Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I think it's really tempting to think that your body is like something you can cast off like a bad haircut or a coat you don't like, but there's not, this is it. The one that you've got that you're inside of, that's it. That's the whole thing. So you kind of got to make friends with it. That is writer, radio host, and TV presenter Yumi Steins. And this is episode 221 of the Oshie Ginsberg podcast. Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. Here we are, right on, episode 221 of the show with Yumi Steins. So glad you're here. I'm so glad you made it. I'm Osher Ginsberg and this is my show. Sometimes I'm on the telly counting roses and sometimes I'm in your phone doing podcasts. Well... 220 other times I've been on your phone doing podcasts if you've been with me for a while. Um, each week on this show, uh, for the last five years now, or four, four years, I can't do maths, um, each week on this show, uh, I have a what I hope to be a paradigm-busting conversation with someone that you either know very well or you might not know them, but I'll guarantee one thing that will happen during this conversation. Each week, at least once, while you're going for your jog or doing your dishes or whatever it is that you do while you listen, driving your car to work, looking after your kids, whatever it is that you do while you listen to podcasts, each week while you listen, you'll go, ah, oh, yeah, oh, I never, never thought about it like that. Hmm, oh, that's interesting. Hmm. That's, the, that's, that's the goal. That's what I want to do with this show. Uh, big thank you to everybody to let me know that they're listening. Uh, it's so great to see where you listen to the show and uh, how you use the show to help you during your week. I know that I use podcasts to get me through all kinds of things in my week. A lot of dog walking, a lot of commuting, a lot of driving uh, is, is accompanied by my brain feeling full of conversations that I pretend that I'm a part of. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sitting in the corner not talking, uh, but listening to podcasts. Uh, 
so I ask if you just send me a picture of what, what you're doing right now. You're listening to this on a phone, so use the camera in the phone. Take a photo of what you're looking at and send it to me. Send us your email at gmail.com or just tag me online. Some brilliant pics uh, came out this week. Uh, someone listening in Abu Dhabi, someone listening in Melbourne, someone going for a run in Bondi, out in the bush somewhere with a beautiful picture of a, a yellow-tailed black cockatoo. Love it. Uh, it's so great to be able to share with you. Who else is listening? And what you're doing while you're listening. We're all doing this together. Um, just take a photo with your phone right now. Tag me or email it. Send us your email at gmail.com. To check in with you this week, I'm, talk- I'm doing this on a, fr- on a Saturday night. Uh, the ladies are out. They're having a date. Uh, Georgia and Audrey are out seeing a flick. And uh, I'm home alone with me and the dog who's got the cone of shame on at the moment. Um, and I'm pooped. I'm absolutely pooped. I've spent the day today. I did day one of a freediving course. I've got day two tomorrow. Freediving. What's freediving? Freediving, the best I can define it, it's the practice of diving underwater for extended periods to extended depths without scuba equipment, just fins and a mask holding your breath. Now, why would I do such a thing? All right. Well, because I'm curious. All right, I've, I've scuba dived for a while now. I really, really enjoy scuba diving. A lot of stuff to get together when you're scuba diving, a lot of things to put together, and I do enjoy it very, very much, and I look forward to doing much more of it in my future. But there's something about the idea of just moving through the water unencumbered by, you know, sometimes 20 or 30 kilos of equipment, and, and it's just you and some mask, so some fins and, and your mask. Um. Could, could be interesting. But most importantly, and, and the, the, the big reason why I wanted to kind of explore freediving is I want to learn more about, and in a, in a dream world, ultimately be able to react differently to my body's stress responses. Um, it, I have OCD. I have anxiety. Sometimes the OCD and the anxiety join forces, and it's a shit show. Um, and, but I'm off meds at the moment, and I'm trying to learn to live life off off meds. And I'm, I'm because of that. If you take meds out of your life, you've got to put something else into your life. So I'm putting a lot of more exercise, trying to get more sleep, and things like this, trying to you know <clears throat> figure things out a bit because. Being off meds now for for two months now, my, my brain and my body are occasionally using old habits of re- reacting to triggers because they know that that's how, that's how I used to react and it's what my body knows. And often the reactions are out of proportion to what's going on in front of me, which can be very confusing, particularly to to my wife. <laughs> but with free diving, bear in mind we were just in a swimming pool today. Uh, with freediving, not only will I hopefully be able to explore more of the, the beautiful underwater world that exists just down the road, living in the city of Sydney, you are on the ocean and the ocean is everywhere in some parts of the city and I would love very much to explore that more. But my plan, my grand scheme is to get to know on a more intimate level and an isolated level my body's stress responses and work I guess to adapt my tolerance to them, and even even just today, because um, you dive with the with a buddy system. There's always someone next to you tapping you on the shoulder, and you, you know, signalling back. Like, yes, I can, I'm, I'm still conscious. Everything's fine. It's very very safe practice. And <clears throat> even today, because the the idea is the, the more relaxed you are, the longer you can stay down. 
so relaxed. I'm trying to be as relaxed as I possibly can. And as my body tries to want to go to breathe, I, I, you know, I can feel the squirts of, of adrenaline uh, just gushing through my body and go, oh, well, that's interesting. And what was fascinating about it is because normally that happens in the middle of a, of a maelstrom of either an argument or I've, I've seen or read something that freaks me out or I'm in traffic or there's always so much more going on when that happens in my body. But today it was it was isolated and it was fascinating. It was really fascinating. Fascinating. Now, I'm uh, being taught, I'm in a very small group of students, I'm being taught by two incredibly skilled instructors. They have thousands of dives to their credit and I'm learning a lot that the discipline of freediving is, well, bear in mind, I have, I'm on day one today, but from what I can gather, it's, it's it, it, a lot of it is about taking your body's urge to breathe and just being with it because, and this is the wild part, um, the body will start to ring alarm bells and begin spasms in your body trying to get you to breathe way before you actually need to breathe, sometimes a few minutes way before you need to breathe. Um, a lot of what we were learning today was actually deliberately triggering my body's urge responses with my face in the water and my safety buddy by my side, just stand there with my diaphragm spasming and trying to keep calm, knowing that I've still got a long time to go before I actually need to breathe. Now, I spent a long time today inducing those spasms and those urges, and I you know, right towards the end of it, you know, you, you you don't want to flick your head up too fast. So you basically stand by the edge of the pool with your hands on the edge of the pool and you've just your face in the water, right? And I'm standing there just trying to relax my body, being super, just like, like I said, super aware of the adrenaline and cortisol flying up and down my spine. I've never felt that before. It's really extraordinary. I did okay today. I, I my, my longest breath hold was, what I think, I think two minutes 50, but that's, I wasn't going for length today. I was, um, I actually kind of on, on one of the dives, I, I deliberately shortened my recovery time to to kind of get the spasms and things happening earlier. And about it was actually shorter than that. It was about two minutes thirty, two minutes forty. Under the my final dive, um, just my head just I was there and I was I was okay and I could feel the spasms and my stomach's jumping around and then suddenly bang, my head just flew back out of the water. I let out all that my eye, the whites of my eyes just glared. Um, as I breathed out all the carbon dioxide, um, and I'm suddenly, I'm like, wow, I, I stood up. I didn't really have a control over that. And, um, it was as big a punch of panic as I've felt when, then like when my brain is in, inventing that the world is ending or, or something like that. But the, the, I'd been deliberately been a part of helping my body do this thing in totally calm, totally isolated from any trigger. Now, why would I want to put myself through that? Because I want to know that I can go past it. I won't do anything stupid, I assure you. Like I said, I'm, you know, I'm diving with buddies and everything's very safe. But I'm trying, I really want to learn how to disassociate my relationship with that reaction from emotion. I want to work on feeling that and just recognizing it as an observer. I'm sure I was way too young, but I'm sure the very first time that I sneezed, it would have freaked me the fuck out. All right. My whole body convulsing, suddenly this air exploding out of my face. I can't keep my eyes open. I can't hold anything in my hands. I just, I, sh I spasm. It would have been totally weird, like your entire body going into this spasm and then you're not knowing it happens. But after a while, like, oh, it's just a sneeze. It's fine. 
unless you're my old coworker Stav and you sneeze eleven times in a row. Um, but yeah, wouldn't that be amazing if I could work it down to that? Um, my dive buddy Trent, he was right there with me the whole time, making sure that I was safe, calling out the time to me. My coach told me just to that 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 smash of panic that I felt. That's that enormous smash of panic that I felt. He said that's the sort of thing that professional freedivers can feel on their descent to a 90-metre goal a quarter of the way down. So the rest of the dive all the way down, they feel that, and they feel that the whole way back up. Now, I'm not a pro freediver, but if I can get a tenth of that sort of thing, I know it can be done. Slowly, safely, with great care, I'd like to explore what it might feel like and what life's like on the other side of that. I'm really interested because... While my brain does do this thing from time to time, it just wants to convince me that the world is legitimately ending. Um, if I can learn to just observe that as a body, as my body's response to stimulus, I guess, and instead of the emotion following the reaction, I just try to observe the reaction, I reckon that's going to be worth it. My loose theory is that the more times I can be in control of when I get that stress response and experience it and be okay on the other side of it, when when it happens without my wanting it, I could be less affected by it. But that's that's my goal anyway. There might be other ways to do that, but I'm enjoying what we're doing right now. Um, I also want to go swimming with the fishes because I like swimming with the fishes. That's always nice. But that's what I did with my Saturday. Yeah, we're going on a boat tomorrow. That should be fun. Um in many ways, oh, here we go. In many ways, I would like to approach my panic response like my guest today approaches life. She gives zero fucks. <laughs> yes, yeah, so let me tell you about my guest today. Yumi Steins is a radio and TV presenter. She's a podcaster, a photographer, and a writer from Sydney, Australia. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram, Yumi Child, Y-U-M-I Child, so happy she's back on the show. She and I have known each other for 18 years now, and I legitimately get teary at the end of this one when I start telling her how happy I am that she's still in my life. Yumi and I, Yumi and I got together at the house where she lives with her wonderful family, talk about her new book. Look, there's lots of swearing in this episode, but we're all grown-ups, and my download statistics show me that you're probably listening to this alone and with headphones. So no one need know why you're giggling when Yumi drops the C-bomb. So now that you've been warned, let's talk about Yumi's new book. Yumi's new book is called Zero Fucks Cooking. Best food, least effort. Anyone that's heard Yumi's brilliant podcast, Ladies We Need to Talk, will know that Yumi's a powerhouse when it comes to keeping her family running. And anyone that knows her knows that she lives a life of zero fucks. The cookbook is wonderful. And for me, it's just the front door into how this incredible woman has created a life that is full of joy, full of laughter, children, happiness, and a career to be proud of. Yumi's book is out on March the 1st. Buy it where you buy books. If you've never bought a cookbook, this book is for you. If you're intimidated by TV cooking and you think you can't do that so I won't even try, this book is for you. If you'd like to live a life where you give zero fucks, start in the kitchen because this book is for you. Get on board. Throw a zucchini on the barbie and enjoy a glorious hour around the dinner table in the beautiful home of Yumi Steins. 
I am going to set my timer though for this cake. I think it needs three more minutes. That's appropriate that the timer <laughs> will go off while we talk about your new and amazing cookbook mm-hmm. called The Zero Fucks Cookbook. I love it. Yeah. Did it arrive in the post? Oh, oh. got to check my bloody post office oh. box. Osh, I've got one over there. Really? No, no, no. No, that's okay. Uh, so, hi, welcome to the show. Um, we're in Yumi's beautiful home. Uh, oh, God. I've said this before and I'll say it again. You are the only woman I've ever met that gets more beautiful every day. Oh. I see you, Yumi. And look at the photo on, that, on the cover there. Oh, my goodness me. All oh, right, it's all, yeah, it's beautiful. It's all here in the yeah, house. There's a shot here. Mm-hmm. Who, did the shoot? Who did the photos? Uh, an Asian lady called Chris Chen. Yeah. I knew when I met her that she was a sister and we were going to get along. Yeah, mm. that she was a sister? She was a sister, yeah. Oh, I love it. Oh, Yumi, this makes me so happy that you have done this. It makes me so happy that you've done this. Now, so I remember a little while ago you did send me a, a YouTube video of this philosophy, mm-hmm. the zero fucks philosophy yeah. when it comes to cooking. Where did it originate? From myself, Osha. So this is, you know, we've known each other for 17 years, 18 years. 18 years now. In May, it'll be 18 years. Yeah. And I think if you had to describe my personality, you'd say I never gave too much of a fuck, really. Nope. No. About lots of things. But one of the things that I never gave much of a fuck about was um, the opinions of strangers trying to impress people who aren't really on my side anyway. So I've never really given a fuck about that. So this cookbook is really about you've got to feed your people by all means, make them happy, but don't worry about the fussy stuff that's not, that doesn't support you, it doesn't enable you, it uses up your time. Just do what matters. And But having said that, mm. there are things you do give enormous fucks about. You are one of the most passionate people and principal people that I've ever known. Oh, that's nice. Well, it's true, mm. Yumi. There's things that you'll go in a battle for and have done, and I've seen you do it, and sometimes triumph for victory and sometimes not. So why mm. around food and cooking is it important to maybe not, not give that much of a shit? <laughs> um, well, look, the thing is I do, I do love food. And I do give a massive shit about food, but I just look for easy ways to make good food. So food's on my mind all the time. And I used to be a cook. When yeah. I got that job at Channel V, I was working in a kitchen. I came into a sandwich shop <laughs> to pluck you out of it. Um, there's footage. There's footage. That in, I'm in an apron. and I'm, I've got a ponytail. You've got a ponytail. I think I climbed on you. Oh, there's my alarm. Sorry. Okay. So Yumi's now in the, in the middle of talking about her cookbook. Yumi's going to uh, her oven. Um which is a, a regular kind of oven. What kind of cake are you pulling out of there, Yumi? Uh, it's a vegan chocolate cake. Yumi's made a vegan chocolate cake, um, which... It's in my recipe book. Is in the recipe book. It's called the three holes. It's called the three holes. Hang on. Did you make three holes in it? You oh. make three holes. Okay. I'm uh, just looking now. Three holes vegan chocolate cake, page 178. Yep. Here we go. This is... Oh, I love the new book smell, Yumi. <laughs> Oh, I really do. Sorry about that. No, what are you sorry about? It's brilliant and it's yours. Yeah. It's freaking amazing. Yeah. So Three holes vegan chocolate cake. God damn. <laughs> Cooking time, 20 minutes. Prep time, 15. Yeah. What? Nothing. Could I make this? Yeah. Wow. Um, 
It's funny that you're here, actually, Osha, because it's almost a full circle thing because there's a lot of vegan-influenced food in that because of the times that I've cooked for you. We've talked about this on this show before, mm. but it, it still remains to me one of the most special, special meals I've ever had when, in 2002, my long-term girlfriend left and I was bereft. I had... I sat on my couch because I just finished writing about this. I sat on my couch and I didn't eat for a month. Mm. I just sat there and drank beer. And I, I did not know. And I thought I was playing it super cool. I thought nobody knew. <laughs> and then you said, come around for dinner. Come on, come around for dinner. And I came to your beautiful home. You were, your children, your older children were, were about the same size as your youngest children now. Um, and I was there around bath time, which was very exciting. <laughs> but your house just smelled of warmth and welcoming and love and the food was just, it was the most wonderful, wonderful meal. And it, it showed me that you cared. And I'd, I'd never really experienced that uh, through food before, except for that night in October of 2002. And when I think of those, the flavors and the smell of the air when I opened the door, and the squealing of your children getting ready for bath time, um, the first taste of the natto, the uh, stinky soybeans that you fed me, <laughs> the taste of the genmai cha, that brown rice tea. I just, I remember going home afterwards that night and just like, I, I just couldn't see a, a future. I didn't know what the world was supposed to look like now that I was single because my life was just so, uh, you know, I was. I lived a very obsessive life. I, I didn't know anything else. I remember going home that night going, I think I might be okay. <laughs> I almost cried then. <laughs> Sorry just, about my phone making that noise. No, 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 no. Um, because this is wild. I just told you that I've been off meds mm. uh, for eight weeks now. Mm. I've cried six times in eight weeks. Before that, I cried once in 15 years. What? There's a Holy whole new moly. world of, of experiencing emotion, Yumi. It's great. Is everything okay with, with small children and things? Yeah. You have many... Many children. Many pots on the boil, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad you remember that, Osho, because... Um, with all my heart. It's one of my fondest, fondest, most wonderful memories. Mm. I think um, hopefully I'm getting better at expressing love through other means besides cooking and showing it that way. It's the classic ethnic, ethnic trap. Of the of the gestures of food that might that other people might not speak that language, they might not go. Oh, Yumi's showing me that she cares about me. She's thinking about me. They might just go. I don't actually like stinky soybeans. That was the greatest. <laughs> that was the greatest. Mm. Uh, and when I went to Japan, I, was, I, I proudly marched up to them <laughs> at the buffet. I was the only gaijin over there. I was just shoveling them into my mouth. Nice. I was like, that's right. I ate the nuts. <laughs> so good. Uh, you had an extraordinarily successful podcast, Ladies We Need to Talk. Mm. It's freaking amazing. And uh, my favorite episode was the one about uh, mental overload. Um, how can that affect the way people uh, prepare food for themselves and for their family? Oh, it's such a good question because it really relates, doesn't it? Uh, mental load is it's a concept that's not new, but it's just a fresh phrase wrapped around this idea that a lot of the admin of life is done by women. So, for instance, uh, don't forget to pick up so, Tim. Oh, 
that's ice falling out of my ice machine, sorry. But stuff like, you know, don't forget about so-and-so's birthday and we've got to buy a present and we've got to make sure it's wrapped and we've got to get there by 3 o'clock and don't forget so-and-so's got cricket and yes. this sort of parenting that usually, and of course there's always exceptions, but it usually falls to women and it's unpaid labour and it's really, really quite draining and taxing. So that's called the mental load. Um, and I think that it does marry into this idea of zero fucks a bit because a lot of this food fetishization that happens from shows like MasterChef and My Kitchen Rules and, and my own um, consumption I see of, of cookbooks, beautiful magazines and, you know, gourmet traveller and stuff like that. It's all selling this idea of putting in a lot of effort to make great food, but it's it's time-consuming, it's taxing, it's expensive often, um, and it's really, um, like, it's great to do, but maybe we're putting too much pressure on ourselves to do it all the time. So that, that riff you went on when you were explaining what mental load was, you started, you know, it's this extraordinary piece of script. I highly recommend you listen to the podcast if you, if you haven't yet. But you, you listed all these things to do is exactly what you were saying. It's like, oh, don't forget, oh, things on the line and, and it looks like it's going to rain and, and, and don't forget to pick up blah, blah, blah from cricket. And then, oh, my God, oh, I haven't pulled the chicken out of the fridge. What am I going to feed people? Mm. And this is at five in the morning. Yeah. And, and you are freaking out about what's going to happen at seven that night. Yeah. Like, of course people's diets suffer. Of course we just go, have a bag of chips. Of course we buy the thing from the freezing section of, of Coles or Woolies or wherever you shop, mm. throw it in the oven 15 minutes while you're watching their project. Of course. Of course we do. Mm. How can – why is it important to, to reclaim that, that prep time, that preparation time for food? Well, because it's usually time when you could be doing something better, like, like uh, cuddling your partner you know, um, or even just, you know, I don't know if you get to this, Osha, but where you go, oh, my God, I haven't plucked my eyebrows. <laughs> like, I just haven't taken that time to even, to actually I actually look at myself, you know. Like, I, I might put makeup on, but I don't actually stop and look. You know, it's just sort of like this, this flurry of, of motion. So, yeah, I think it's, you know, there's so many things we could be doing, like writing a book, you know. Um, finding that thing, that spark in yourself that actually makes you happy. Mm. We, we, uh, and we anaesthetise ourselves with TV and, and junk food and... Facebook. Facebook, Instagram. which I, I'm totally addicted to. And and, um, and then things like alcohol, which is delicious and addictive and, you know, other things that are sort of continually being shoved down our throats voluntarily. So how can we how can we reframe in, in a day when you're like, oh, my God, I've got 50 squillion things on? Yeah like baking a cake is an extravagance. Mm. Let's not forget. Mm. Um, but even the 15 minutes of prep, yep. that's 15 minutes. If you've got a house full of people, that's hard to come by. Yeah. How can you reframe why that 15 minutes is worth it? Well, I guess you have to find your own enjoyment in it, don't you? You have to find the reason why you want to do stuff. I also think you can be um, a more efficient human being. I mean, that's sort of an added pressure, but there are lots of ways you can kind of run an efficient household, like know what you're going to cook rather than agonising over it. Just make a call. Right, we're going to have veggie burgers tonight. Don't fucking argue about it. It's done, right? Done. And then you can take the steps needed to make that happen. I do something really nerdy, which is I have um, like a fridge magnet, but a proper meaty one that can hold uh, post-it notes, and I just write lists and they're always there. So I have an active list of shopping that I need to do. 
and then I tear it off and I take it and I do the shop and then everything's struck off the list and I throw the list out. The list is done. It's not going to clutter up my life. I'm not going to confuse it with tomorrow's list because it's gone. So little things like that, I can't, I can't, fewer things slip through the cracks. Um, I also do really nerdy things like set timers for my cooking all the time. And, and I weigh ingredients and then it takes out, I know it sounds like I'm giving a fuck and I am, but it also takes out guesswork and guesswork's one of those things that just, it's more clutter. It's more um, chaos. All right. So, because uh, I, I live a toast-based cooking mm-hmm. life. Yes, all right? I When know. I met my wife, Audrey, um, I've cooked two things well, and I basically cooked the variants of, of, of those. Like some days I wouldn't put brown rice in, sometimes I put quinoa <laughs> in. But it was basically I cooked the same thing every night. I wasn't really that fussy. Um, but the idea of having to, to make stuff up and uh, 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 the, the idea of just, just following a recipe, mm. I, I, it's nothing I've ever, something I've never really done. Yeah, right. Because I was always so intimidated by it. Yeah, right. You're crazy, man. I know. How do you survive? <laughs> I know. So nice. I've got one recipe in here that you could actually cook, and it's vegan. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, called Two Easy Zucchini, and it's got one ingredient in it. Guess what it is? Zucchini. Yeah. <laughs> and you cut it in half and you barbecue it, and guess what? It's fucking delicious. <laughs> you know what? As soon as we're done with this, I'm going to go to Harvey Norman. I was going to do this anyway. I'm going to go to the um, appliance store, and I'm, I'm buying a, a George Foreman grill this oh, really? afternoon. Yeah. Not a barbecue. Oh, no. You haven't got an outdoor. We don't have a. We have a very tiny apartment. Yeah. Um, so I'm not. I'm not going to get that. Um, for people who, so I didn't really grow up with this kind of culture in my house. Of, oh my, hang on a second. I'm being shown this Yumi's extraordinarily bound book. God, <laughs> I love book binding, and I love the feeling of a good. I, I do love my Kindle, but I do miss the hard copies. Two eases of candy. One of my favourite recipes. This contains just one ingredient. It also pretty much epitomises zero fucks. Tastes great. It's good for your body. It doesn't muck around with a naturally awesome vegetable. I have it at least once a week. Serves as many as you like. Oh, hate the barbecue to as hot as it will go. <laughs> I love it. Uh-huh. I love it. You could cook that. It's a zucchini. I can. Mm. I can. But look at... Oh, hang on. Now we're talking the pita bread on the side. Oh, yeah. Baba Ganoush over there. Mm-hmm. It's hummus. Oh, man. So good. Um, I didn't really grow up in a, in a culinary household. Like, I, I learned how to cook a steak. I learned how to make spaghetti bolognese. But, like, that was kind of it. Mm. You know, how, how old were you when you started cooking? I was pretty little. I was the youngest of four kids and my mum's Japanese, as you know, Yoshiko. Um, so I think I just was sort of, you know, mucking in there. Anyway, and being the youngest, I was the one least cared for, you know, the least fussed over and the most sort of empowered to take care of herself. So I think I was probably cooking for myself pretty early as well. Yeah. Mm. But my nickname when I was little was Gourmet Chef. My, my older sisters used to call me Gourmet Chef because I wanted to be a gourmet chef. <laughs> and um, I died off, but it was around for about six years, I reckon, I was a Gourmet Chef and I thought I might be a chef. I thought that might be a vocation for me. I don't know why I never got into it. I think I thought um, that it, I wouldn't be let in. It was like a club for people and I wasn't one of them. Mm. So yeah. I didn't pursue it until I was a bit older and I was travelling around Australia and I started, you know, um, pretending that I was a chef. 
so that I could work. <laughs> you know this story. But, yeah, I needed to work, so I just thought I'm not a very good waitress. I'll, I'll be a cook because I'm quite good at that. Yeah. Mm. But this is in the day where you could just go, oh, yeah, 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 I'm a chef. And they go, great. Great, in your hop. And they teach you how to do everything. So, you know, there's an existing menu. They bring you up to speed. I'm a pretty quick learner. I know my way around a kitchen. So, yeah, it was fine. <laughs> so you learned, do you remember the name of the establishment, the first one you swindled and got Oh, in? the first one I swindled, well, oh, gosh. I think it might have been a place um, called Andara Lava Lodge. Yeah. Where's that? In, in the Atherton Tablelands of Queensland. But I didn't swindle them. I kind of said, look, I've worked, you know, in a sandwich bar. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a chef. I'm a cook. Yeah. I can cook stuff. And they're like, it's coleslaw and steak, buddy. You'll be fine. And I was fine. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. How else can you, you know, does the zero fucks, you know, cookbook, are, you, are people, is this going to bleed into the rest of their lives, the zero fucks attitudeness? I hope so. I really hope so. I just like, I, like I cried when I was making that book. I, I, I mean, I, you know, we talked about this. So I cry a bit, but um, I just, I had a, a bit of an epiphany in the shooting of it because I was surrounded by these, you know, really professional st- stylists, photographers, uh, cookbook editors who've all worked on really high end stuff, you know, really posh, really fastidious chefs and. This, so I was steering this ship, this team of people who were way more qualified than I am, um, and they were all a little bit sort of stepping back going, really, is that, is that how like easy it's going to be? Is that how little a fuck you're going to give about this? And um, they showed so much care, but everything was stepped out so easily that they kept being incredulous. Um, and I realised that I was doing the right thing. Like I realised that in their worlds, this swirl of of detail and fuss was normal, but it's really not. It doesn't have to be, and it, it applies to so much. Like the, this sort of um, like almost like a hangover of judgment that you anticipate from other people. You know, oh, what if she knows that I used ch- cheese that was already grated? <laughs> you know, like. People think that they have to grate their own cheese or their white trash or something. You know, it's fucking bullshit. Just do what's easy, man. Just do what you can do. <laughs> Just getting up in the morning, sometimes it deserves a medal. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. When you, when you were talking about that, I'll never forget the first time I ever saw a, um, a, a food photography behind-the-scenes uh, footage. Oh, Yeah. Of, I think they were prepping like a burger for it's like an American chain like Arby's or something like mm. that, or they were prepping a steak like a, a dinner, uh, steak dinner that you can buy at one of those diners, which is uh, like you know meat and three veg, what we would call. And they had fifteen of them. Oh yeah, in a row, and they had someone's professionally like a food stylist. They had little spray bottles to, you know, make things look glistening and <laughs> and and. Yeah. yeah, and and getting the dollop of cream just right. Yeah, you know, so because they, I think they served it with a like a slice of pie or something. Oh yeah, and in the the footage was the pie had a dollop of cream on top of it, and just how many takes it took to get the dollop of cream, the like the peak of the dollop of cream just to fold over exactly as the food stylist wanted it to do and it just really dawned on me that people see a photo and they look at what they can make and go oh I'm terrible at what I do because I can't make it look like that but there's a fucking team of people (laughs) who are 
pay their mortgages getting dollops to land right. Uh-huh. Not to mention the 14 burgers that had to commit suicide to, for, the, for the one good burger to live. Yeah, it's pretty intense. And I think, um, like, I've done it myself, put this pressure on myself with making a birthday cake. And I, I feel like it has to be an expression of how much I love my children. So I put all this, you know, I research, what's her favourite nut? I'm going to put her favourite nut inside. What's what maple syrup, sort of some sort of glistening icing on top. And after all this fussing, they're not into it, you know, and it's heartbreaking. You feel like, A, you're a failure, and B, your love has been rejected, you know, and you've spent a shitload of money on their favourite nuts and their glistening icing. And um, time and time again, my kids would like the simple thing, the thing that was really quick and easy. And I'd want, I'd want to fuss as an expression of my love, but they didn't need it. So I just decided to just go with the quick and easy. Right. Another thing that happened was my, one of my kids had, a, like, an end-of-year big party and it was so beautiful it was a picnic by the beach and all the parents got really involved in in preparing for it and I even joined the committee I decided I needed to make more adult friends you know so I thought I'd do it via the school and I did make some great friends and we all wanted to make this the best picnic ever so sushi was organized and mums made sandwiches that were like like snail sort of spirals of elegance and then as as was as the lead up to this picnic occurred, I suddenly got um, avalanched with work and I, I couldn't deliver. And I felt really ashamed because I'd committed to delivering and then I couldn't at the last minute. Um, but I was determined to bring something. So I made fairy bread and I got the kids to help. We got like four or five loaves of white bread, butter, sprinkles, and we made it and a big mountain of it, like a huge mountain. So at least I was providing food, right? And I watched on the day as everyone just demolished the fairy bread. It was so popular and it was so yummy. You know, and everyone, all the adults were like, oh, I love this. It reminds me of when I was a kid. And it was the first tray empty. And I kind of thought there's a lesson there that I don't need to sweat so much. You know, I don't need to feel so much trepidation about failing because it's only in my mind. It's only this, the fucks that I'm thinking I have to give, you know. It sounds like this goes a lot deeper than cooking, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, Dr. Osher. Oh, I forgot about this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This feeling of being on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. What, what are you implying? Well, I, I guess, you know, what I'm saying, it's funny because, you know, it's interesting talking to you now because mm. you're, you're, still, you're still kind of in work mode. 
So it's interesting speaking to you because you've just come back from your job mm. uh, where you do an afternoon radio show. And it's interesting speaking with you because you are, and, and Audrey, when I was doing breakfast radio, would comment on this. Oh, yeah. Like, Stop fucking speaking in sound bites. Yeah, right. Around the house. <laughs> you know? Oh, the weather's looking uh, about 23 outside. Oh, no, it, it, you know, it was more of like, um, uh, I don't know. Honey, I'm going to go and get the netball and then after that uh, I'm going to do this thing and everything okay. It's like, stop it. <laughs> Just speak a normal sentence, man. Uh, and it took me a while to, to kind of like uh, after I finished my shift, I could, probably couldn't talk normally until about two. Really? Yeah. Well, I am conscious there's a microphone in front of me and one in front of you yeah. and, I, and I've always thought about edit points. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So you want to sort of make sure there's a point where you can sort of stop and t- tighten up the tape. It is drilled into us, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the wonderful form of podcasting is that I did, I did, uh, I did two hours and 12 minutes with Jan Fran the other day and it was oh, fucking great. awesome. Yeah, right. And this wonderful p- part about podcasts is that if you've got a 20-minute commute, it might take you two days to get through one. Mm. And it's really great because then you finish your day and you come home and you're like, oh, that's right, I've got another 25 minutes of, you know, Mark Maron talking to someone to take me home. Yeah, And that'll sure. be, you know, that'll be awesome. So to the fairy bread, um, there must have been a sense of triumph of like my food, my <laughs> fuck you PNC girls. My tray got emptied first. You and your s- swirly sandwiches. You must have been thrilled. Um, yeah, maybe a little bit. I think, um, you know, I was, I was also looking at the kids who probably needed to eat less of that sort of trashy junk food and thinking I'm, I haven't done them a service by providing them, putting this in front of them. Um, so, yeah, a part of me was pleased but also a little guilty. So I guess that's yeah. that's sort of the the tussle with that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, but I, I mean, I th- about being competitive, I just, I don't want to be, I just want to be. Yeah. Mm, it's, it's hard enough to be a good parent, you know, without judging yourself against other parents. Yeah. We exist in this culture mm. where we are judged by the likes on our Instagram and our Facebook and constantly mm. check a photo. Oh, I only talk for people like that. Shit, I didn't, you know, do this right or do that right. You know, seeing all the comments below of people being excited about someone else's kid's achievement, you know, that's got to fuck with your head. It's got to fuck with your head. If you're not aware of it, if you've kind of been sucked into it, like we, I'm, I'm a fair bit older than you, but, you know, Facebook didn't show up until I was 32, okay? But Georgia... Yeah, yeah, she's going to live her whole life with this, mm. or whatever comes next. Yeah, you know, to and if you you could be a, what it was twelve years, so you could have been fourteen, and now you're a twenty six year old parent of two kids, mm. and all you've ever known is I take photos of the things I love, and then I put them this place, and then everyone that I've you know connected with will judge it, mm. and that's my life. Yep, fuck that. <laughs> Yeah, but sometimes it's not judging. Sometimes it's also, like, making people laugh as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bringing them pleasure, giving them some insights. One of my favourite photos that I posted was of my baby son, man baby, who um, (laughs) I think we'd been to the Hunter Valley that day for a weekend trip. We'd just returned and 
I got home, it was like five o'clock. The house was in full chaos with four kids, you know, bags spilling dirty washing. And it was his birthday and we hadn't sort of organised to celebrate it. And it was his first one. So he didn't really care, but I really felt like, oh, God, he's the classic fourth baby, you know. So I um, were having soba noodles for dinner and I just went, kids, fuck it. I'm going to put some candles in his noodles and we're going to sing him happy birthday, right? So there's a photo of him with these really sad recycled long candles that were half snapped like twigs, sort of leaning in the noodles, sad as anything. The candles are lit and right before the photo was taken, Man Baby, having never seen birthday candles before, tried to touch the flame and burned his little fat chubby hand and is crying his head off. My three daughters around him are laughing because this is kind of funny. So he's crying with his mouth huge, tears squirting out his eyes, and the rest of us are laughing. And it's such a, for me, it's such a beautiful, you know, poignant moment to have where it's a total parent fail. But he's so surrounded by love and adoration, you know, and it, he will he will grow. He will have more birthdays. There will be a cake. At some point. <laughs> and I know that the people who saw that photo really laughed, you know. They yeah. really saw the, the, the comedy in that moment. Yeah. And I'm so happy to have ways to share that stuff yeah, as well. Yeah, true. No, mm. okay. You, you, you spin a positive light on my, <laughs> my negative view, uh, which is, you know. It was, it was beautiful to see, but it also in telling that story, you've, you've really, you kind of answered the question that I asked before that it does, the zero fucksness does kind of spread further out. A lot of people would punish themselves over that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. No, they really would, and you know, you know, people that would. People would. Look, I think you might have been there when my eldest daughter turned three, and I had a party at Nelson's Bay in Sydney, and I put so much pressure on myself and invited you know, people and wanted to cater and at the end of it I fell into a real depression. Like I just felt so drained and I think that as you have subsequent children you you take the pressure off yourself a little bit because you simply have to. And also you've learnt, you've gone, okay, birthday number three, maybe I could do that differently next time and you sort of calm the fuck down a bit, really. Yeah. So but so with Man, baby, he's number four, so of course I've figured some stuff out now. Yeah, I hope. And so, if zero fucks is number one. What's number two? Oh, the book. No, no, no. Zero fucks about figuring stuff out about learning how to being a parent by now. Um, no, zero fucks is is how I'm at four with four, the fourth baby. I gave a lot of fucks with one and two. Yeah, yeah, and I thought things really mattered that didn't. Well, that, that's life, isn't it? It's like getting fired. Like I thought that was the end of everything. Yeah. I thought I was going to be a barista or a maid. I even thought, you know what I actually considered? This is terrible. When I, when I was – actually, I was working, but I was being so poorly paid at Foxtel that I thought about um, surrogacy, like renting out my womb. Fuck me. Yeah. I thought if I could get like 100000 or 200000 for making a baby for someone else, pay down my mortgage, I'm a single mum, my womb works, I've got proof. Like I didn't really investigate it any further than the idea, but I did toy with the idea, you know. Fuck, what am I going to do? You just sort of, you taught that you have like, a, like an appliance, inbuilt obsolescence. Yeah. Aren't you? As a, as a presenter? Oh, as a television presenter. Mm. My word. And for 
I was actually just talking about this the other day with somebody else on this show, um, that the rules for women and men are so extraordinarily different. Um, a friend of mine whom you know, Caroline, mm. uh, from Uganda, she came here as a child refugee. She went back to London for a while. She was in London, I think, 15 years. She comes back. She's like, the fuck? But Newton's still on television. <laughs> You can grow old on Australian mm. television. There's a have a look, and and you don't have to do you don't have to have scales or a measuring tape, but look at the male news presenters. Have a guess at their BMI tonight at six o'clock. Then have a look at the female news presenters and ask yourself: Would they be able to get away with the same thing? Fuck no. Mm. Shit house. Mm. It's, it's it's not okay. And and. We judge women on camera before we've heard them say anything, which is fucked. Yeah, it's fucked. <laughs> but that's, you know, I, I, I don't know how it is. Now, um, uh, you just went to Japan mm. uh, on a holiday mm. and I was speaking with our mutual friend Carla, mm -hmm. who's the curator of the hair. <laughs> Um, the author here, the that curator, is. curator and creator. She's the one. Um, and she said you watched a lot of television. What did you notice about people on television in Japan? Oh, yeah, we did, yeah. Um, Japan's really interesting, as you know. You, just just for people who, who don't know what's going on in Japan, their birth rate is um, is not replenishing. So there'll be fewer people in Japan than there are right now if the birth rate continues the way it is. So the population is declining. It's getting old. No one's having babies, basically. On TV, this is reflected in that the same fucking people that I used to see when I was a little girl visiting Japan are still on TV now. There's a few young ones amongst them, but they're all mixed in together. It's like cross-generational on TV all the time. Really interesting. Have you finished your book? Um, it's, you know... I'm all aboard the Narcissism Express. I got to think and talk all about me. <laughs> was... Fucking hell, did you have good notes from, you know, like your Channel V days? Oh, no, I had to guess a lot of stuff. Yeah. I don't remember the second season of Idol. Because of your drinking? Oh, everything, yeah. I remember stuff that happened. I remember a couple of parties and I remember a few, few events, a few moments. But actually being at work, no, don't remember it. Don't remember. I know it happened because there's footage mm. of me saying Casey Donovan. <laughs> I don't remember doing it. Far out. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, that was the year that um, uh, 2004, was. we won our first Logie for that show that year. Mm. And um, Dave Hughes gave me a Logie. It was when I met Dave Hughes at a breakfast radio show about, you know, six uh, six months after that. I said, hey, how you going? And he goes, yeah, we met before, mate. I'm like, oh, sorry. But he goes, I gave you a bloody Logie. <laughs> He is the one that gave me the Logie. Uh -huh. um, but I was, uh, at the time, off my face on Percocet, which is oxycodone. Right. <laughs> and, I don't know, like eight crown ligers. Jeez. Oh, yeah. And so it's been interesting. It's been interesting. Audrey will tell you uh, that I was a bit ragged at the end of some of the days and I'd have to go out, get on my bicycle and just ride around the park for an hour and a half to just... After reliving this stuff? Clear it out or whatever. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. There's a lot of shame attached with that sort of addiction, isn't there? 
Well, it wasn't for me. It wasn't addiction at the time. It was just like this is what I should do. I'm on telly. I'm living this life. I'm single. I'm fucking why not? So that's what it was. It wasn't until years later that I realised, oh, I can't actually stop it. Oh, fuck. Uh, yeah. It wasn't until way later that I realised how damaging what I'd been doing was. Um, but, yeah. I remember some guy, fuck, was at a, it was at a um, Aria's going, I fucking met that Andrew Gunsberg a bunch of times and he never, he's such a cunt, he never fucking remembers me. And the guy who was saying it was like this, he was like a judge on a dance show. That sounds right. But um, but I, I, I used to get a lot of that. Yeah, but uh, but I do yeah. it too. I still do it. I still forget people that you've met, don't you? Oh yeah, but I, at least now I get to say, look, I don't drink anymore. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> it's better that way. Isn't so it? I've got this kind of. It's like we might have met in two thousand six, but mm. sorry, pal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I used to get a lot of that. I, I my experience of meeting people was often, fuck you. We've met three times. Mm. That was my experience of meeting people. Mm. But I don't know, for whatever reason, I just, I, was, I don't know, maybe I, maybe I just didn't give a fuck. Maybe, it, and that wasn't in the good zero fucks way. <laughs> maybe it was just total arrogance. It probably was. It was probably just like, uh, why should I care? Yeah, right. Uh, probably a fair bit of that going on. Did you, were you aware like of a hierarchy sort of like, I need to know this person? Like, for instance, in our work, we needed to know who Daniel Johns is. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't necessarily need to know um, who the keyboard player in Daryl Braithwaite's band is. I was aware of that hierarchy, yes. Yeah. So, and, and because it was sort of work-related, right? So, yeah, that, it So it gets an added sheen of importance. So you go, fuck yeah, Daniel Johns, and that stuff would stick. And the yeah. keyboard players and the aerobics instructors and the dance judge guy would not stick. Because yeah. it just wasn't important enough. There was a bit, there was a bit of that, yeah. There was mm. a bit of... Um, you know, the chances of me having to, uh, us interacting in an on-camera way are slim. Mm. But especially on a night like the Arias, when I, you know, as you've done, you do this backstage interviews, you, you know, you'll interview 40 people mm. in the space of two hours and have to give every one of them, you know, as much of your, you know, active at the time. And I really kind of miss it. And I, I'm sure you had it too. It's just, I had this encyclopedic, rolling knowledge of what was active and current and exciting and important at the time. Yeah. And if we hadn't heard of an album or a band for a little while, it would kind of just drop off the back a bit. Yeah. And then this new, you know, band would show up and then it kind of, I used to always use the analogy of um, like a bookshelf, like one book goes on one side, one book falls right. off the back. Right, sure. All right, and that's, that's how I, I, I would remember things. Yeah. And, yeah, so if, if it was someone's arias and they hadn't been in three years, I'd be like, ah, yeah, I'm sorry. sorry. But speaking of Johnsy, I do remember uh, Natalie and Brulia and Daniel Johns having a cheeky pash backstage at the entertainment centre. I was like, hang on a second. Hey. Those two. <laughs> they got married a few years later. <laughs> then they got unmarried. Happens. Happened to me. Can happen to you. Mm. Um, wow. Okay. So when you're thinking about, so say someone's listening to this, right? Yeah. And they kind of align a bit with, oh, I really i am not caring enough about myself when it comes to feeding myself. Uh, so I'm, I'm living a life of takeaway. I'm living a life of frozen meals. Mm. I'm living a life of 
and like right now they just don't care or don't need to change or feel the need to change. Why, in your opinion, move away from that towards a place where you care enough to put time into preparing food for you and, mm. and your family? Well, let's start selfish. Let's start just yourself. Yourself. I think it's really tempting to think um, that your body is like something you can cast off, like a bad haircut or a coat you don't like. And and that there's something else around the corner that you can put on, like a coat. But there's not. This is it. The one that you've got that you're inside of. That's it. That's the whole thing. So you kind of got to make friends with it and love it and and treat it like a beautiful car that you're gonna to have to drive until the day you die. So you know it might be nice to get a new car, but you can't. So you really gotta love this car. You gotta put the right stuff in it. You gotta polish it. You know. And also, like for me, I always was when I was on Channel V. I um I wanted to have um like I used to cover my arms because I thought they were tuck shop arms. I never really thought about it, but I was like, yeah, yeah, nothing with the sleeve, nothing with short sleeves, particularly after I'd had two kids. And one day I just kind of went, you know what, I'm going to have these fucking arms for the rest of my life, so I'm either going to do something about them or I'm just going to stop being a fuckwit about it, you know, because it's pointless having this energy and, and it's just rolling around doing nothing, being negative. And the, those kind of thoughts are really helpful, I think, to go, you know what, let's take a step towards who we want to be and the car the chassis of our body let's make it the best it can be and i think with women but men as well there are so many ways we're taught to hate on our bodies you know it's not we're not leggy enough our boobs are too small our tummy's flabby our hair's all thin and scratchy um if you're if you're doing the best you can like if you're fit and strong if you can run or you can you know push a weight or something ride a bike you sort of don't mind as much that you're imperfect. You're like, yeah, I'm, I might not look like Natalie Imbruglia or, or somebody like that, but I just rode 5Ks and that's fucking cool or 50Ks, you know, and um, you start to find ways to really love what your body can do. But having a baby is a bit the same because, you know, I, I, it's amazing when your body can do that. But there's a there's a huge cost at the other end when your your body suddenly is quite unruly. It's leaking in horrible ways, and it's flabby, and it really takes a long time to put those pieces back together. But uh, yeah, so a person who's not treating their body with kindness, it's really hard when it's just yourself by yourself. You know, to go, I deserve this. Um, but you've got to start with that self love, don't you? Yeah. Mm. And what's the tiniest, tiniest step you can take towards that? Every This has changed my life. And I, I, don't, I think I probably started maybe when I was 30, 30 years old, but every plate I eat f has something raw on it. Every time I always eat something that's raw, like a tomato is raw, you know, a cucumber is raw. It doesn't have to be something disgustingly fancy, you know, like some ball, a paleo ball, some bullshit, right? It can just be a slice, like a mango cheek or a passion fruit, you know, something that just hasn't been through a process, something that resembles what it was when it was a plant. Um, I love Rocket. 
you know, so maybe if you're a person that likes some particular kind of thing that's actually good, find a way to turn rocket into a rocket salad with cheese and pear and balsamic vinegar and walnuts and, you know, suddenly that's a fucking yummy thing that you do to show self-love. So as a... As a way, because I, I, you know, what you're talking about, and, and I guess where I'm coming from is that there was a time in my life where I basically had a window diet. If I could drive up to the window, I would eat what came out of it. Yuck. That was my life, though. Mm. I was working as a roadie, then I was working in radio, I was sleeping on the floor of the studio between shifts. I just didn't have fucking time, mm. you know? Milk and cereal. That was like the most. <laughs> That's prep. cooking, man. That was the most prep I did all day. <laughs> yeah. You know, the rest was whatever I could steal from downstairs at, at work, you know, packs of chips or whatever the fuck mm. we were giving away that day and maybe a Subway sandwich or usually Burger King or Hungry Jack's at night. This is before I went vegan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? of course. Um, but I didn't see any reason. I didn't see any reason to change. Mm. It was like, but they, I guess, you know, as well, I come from a history of, uh, I was in Weight Watchers when I was eight. What? Yeah. Oh, little yeah. fella. Well, I wasn't little, I can guarantee you that. Little round fella. I was Augustus Glupian. <laughs> yeah, I was in Weight Watchers when I was eight, which I've now realised very similar, if not exactly the same, as meetings of a certain fellowship that I may be a part of to help me stay sober. Yeah, right. Yeah, same format, huh. same thing. It's like, all oh, right, it works here too. <laughs> Does it work, though? Because then they want you to relapse at those weight loss things. Ah, uh, yeah, well, I guess, you know, I didn't see it for what it was at the time, that it was like, a, and if you buy this yeah. cheeky thing of margarine, but I think mean, this is a different time. It was the 80s. You couldn't buy low-fat anything anywhere. Yeah, that's true. So they were the only people you could get the products from. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like, so I, I lived a life where I just, you know, felt disgusting about myself, so I'd eat heaps, and then I'd feel disgusting about myself, so I'd eat heaps. Mm. And... It just was uh, impossible to break out of that. Mm. Impossible. You know, going away with Carla, I really noticed how much I eat in comparison to her. And then we, I mean, I was skiing like shitloads every day and really working my body. When you were in Japan. When we were in Japan. But I'd get home and we'd go out for dinner and I'd eat like twice as much as she would and have a dessert. And then we'd get back to the hotel and I'd go and get some ice cream. I'm a big eater. And I, I, I know that that cycle that you describe where you're like, oh, I feel fucking gross. I'm going to just, you know, I may, I'm here now. I may as well just keep eating because what difference is it going to make? But what I find is that, like, it's a punctuating mark that I that I visit almost daily is, is getting my heart rate up somehow. So doing a class, so I do a fitness class or going for a run, and it's like all your sins are wiped clean and you can start afresh from here. And I have that every day. So even though I eat like a fucking maniac, I kind of don't wear it as a, a bad thing because I'm, I'm baptising myself in endorphins right. daily. Right. Mm. And so that if someone is trapped in that loop, maybe even just going for a walk yep. might be enough to start look, that momentum. Yeah, I, I, I love a walk and I'm bang up for a walk, a good walk, but I really think there's something about when you are mentally being chased by the saber-toothed tiger and you've got you've really got that heart thing going and you've got the puffing and your eyes start to shine, you're, you're very alive then. And but you're, you're very fit, you mean. I'm very fit. People who are unfit, a 20-minute walk, they'll get there. In I, a 20 minute walk. It's true. But, but I used to, I haven't always been fit. I used to be, you know, a smoker and a drinker and 
anti-exercise. And one of the things that kicked me up their bum was running for the bus, like, 20 metres and heaving for, for breath. So I, I, I really only started becoming fit in my 30s and I just I just can't wait to be old and leathery <laughs> and strong. You're going to be – when I uh, had, the, had the good fortune of, of running the Los Angeles Marathon a few times mm. and um, I can see that you're going to be the one head-to-toe pink ASICs. Oh, yeah. You know, that, you know, we've got, you got, when you get over 70, you get the special <laughs> – Jersey, you I know, do. yeah, you get the special yeah. identifier that goes, you know, you know, seventy plus running or yeah. whatever. Like, I remember one of those, one of those women, because uh, you know, the massive, uh, you know, um, uh, it, it's a particular woman that saved me. Uh, my first LA marathon, uh, she was uh, she was uh, Korean and um, <laughs> from Koreatown. Koreatown is absolutely massive, as yeah. you know, and. You know, she was running the LA Marathon as a recovery run from a, an ultra that she'd done across wow. the weekend, and she was in her fifties or sixties. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. But yeah, so I, I think that's in your future. <laughs> I think. I think. I think you'll be the. You'll be a. You know, seventy plus. You know, doing it. Yeah, I was just reading about you know Yasmin the the um, Muslim Yasmin Abdul Majid. Yes, uh, writer and engineer and broadcaster, mm. and saying how she loves the F one because she's into engineering and watching these cars and yeah. how they how they can be excellent, you know, and the best minds putting uh, the best technology into these cars. I really think the body is you know a little bit the same if you if you want it to be, you just put the best. Yeah, that you can into your own little car of body and fucking ride that thing, man. Yeah, see what it can do. It's pretty exciting. It's exciting to me. Skiing in Japan, you know, which I only got back last week, was exciting to me because I'm 42, and I haven't skied really seriously since I was about 14. So I've had a big, big break. I've had, I've had a couple of like weekend trips, but not many, and I'm not very good. Did you work a couple of seasons down the snow though? Well, I got interrupted by getting a job at Channel V. Uh, or were you snowboarding then? I was snowboarding too, yeah. Um, but yeah, just to go back and go, all right, I'm going to see what my body can do. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it for a spin out on these slopes and see if I can <laughs> eat shit massively. Yeah. Or not? It was pretty cool. It was a pretty cool experiment. Yeah, I, I, did, I, I snowboard after, as you know, I used to snowboard yeah. heaps. And then at the age of 30, how old was I when I did it? Because I changed my name that day. It was my 38th birthday in Vail, Colorado. I decided to ski again. Eating shit and having, going face first into gun made ice. Are you? you know, five times a day yeah. on a ski trip that you've paid a lot of money for. Oh, fuck yeah. And knowing that if I was on a snowboard, I could fucking own this. Right. But there was something about the humility of it and like being given the humility, the chance to be humble, be humbled mm. every day. I was like, oh, this is actually pretty good. <laughs> right. It's actually pretty good sucking at this and I'm, I'm enjoying not being perfect at it. And uh. I'm enjoying like fighting my arrogance and ego that I should be on a snowboard. Because if I was on a snowboard, I'd be between those trees. Yeah, right. Flying in a straight line. Like yeah. scooting through the trees in knee-deep powder. But so instead I'm over here. So why did you want to take up skiing again? Because I got bored snowboarding. Oh, really? I got bored of it. It doesn't look boring. It looks hot. Yeah, I've, I've, I've had some pretty fantastic opportunities to do it, but I've also injured myself enough. So I'm like, unless I'm going to start flying off, you know, the 70-footer yeah. or, or jumping in a helicopter and maybe getting covered by an avalanche, nah, not really into that. Oh, I always thought that the... 
Snowboarders were the sexy ones and the skiers were like the dags. Have you seen my onesie? My skiing <laughs> yes. onesie? It's yeah. fucking awesome. <laughs> I, it's amazing. I did eat some massive shit in um, Nisiko and, and um, when I, I took – I basically took a black run in a blizzard and um, and I wasn't really prepared and I didn't really want to. I kind of got directed down it and um, and I basically rolled down the hill eating shit, like getting up and then having to eat some more shit. It's so bad. I was just so bad. Like I was wanting to cry but like I was all alone in a blizzard. What fucking difference is it going to make if I cry or not? Yeah. And I really think that that, that humbling happens at least once per snow trip for anybody yeah. where you really do eat some shit and you feel like weeping. You might actually, children do weep, but you might feel like weeping, but there's probably no point because who gives a damn about you, you stupid, dumb human. And you have to dig deep and find this, you know, I don't know, a resilience, a, w- a willingness to get up and keep fighting it, yeah. you know, and a, 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 a happiness to look foolish you know, an acceptance of looking like a, a doofus. Yeah. And then at some point, you know, you have to go, you know, I'm going to get up tomorrow and do this again. I'm yeah. Gonna, you know, hurt myself. It really hurts. It does. Sometimes. But it's pretty great. It's pretty great. What yeah. was the What was the best meal you ate in Japan? Oh, so many, so many great meals. I really, I really just like vegetables. I really like vegetarian food. So, you know, I eat everything, but I'm skewing more and more towards a high vegetable diet. So we did have a like a tofu meal. There was all sort of things that were vegetable based and tofu based, um, and I could see in the preparation that stopwatches had gone off. You know, somebody in the kitchen has timed this so that the, the when they cut open the sweet potato, it doesn't feather or crumble. It's just neat but cooked but perfect. You know, it was just another great thing we ordered was um, cabbage with sesame dressing and it was like just cabbage just the leaves not chopped torn in a bowl with some sesame and salt and maybe like a little bit of vinegar and oil or something very light just barely anything and just eat it with your fingers and it was really made me very happy it was just simple and pure yeah Mm. i uh ate a lot of amazing food in In japan Japan. yeah yeah they know about food yeah it was funny you mentioned tofu there was a place in uh, Kyoto. Is it a place I recommended to you? Do you remember? I'd Might seen... have been. It was a tofu place. Yeah, where they did set tofu. Yes. Yeah. I had 23 kinds of tofu for dinner. Yes. 23. <laughs> did, um, it was incredible. Did Audrey and Georgia get dressed up in kimonos and stuff? No, no, ah. they didn't. Because we walked around. We did actually, so we saw some actual proper real life, which are one proper real life uh, geisha. Yeah. But very rare to see actually out in the streets walking around. Everybody else was tourists, tourists mm. doing the thing. Mm. And no, that's fine. But we did see one proper, proper, proper. And it was something about the way she walked. You're like, oh, that's, she's, that's a, she's a real one. Right. She's a real one. Yes. Her gait is not, you know, that's, that's 20 years of, of, of walking mm. training mm. right there. Um, I'm so happy that you've put this cookbook out, Yumi. Because not only is it going to feed a lot of wonderful people, it's also going to, how shall I put this, um, permeate your worldview around a little bit more. <laughs> Spread it around a bit more. Yeah. You reckon? Yeah, through mm. cooking. Because mm. if someone feels, got, oh, go go through the grocery aisle, oh, I've never really cooked with zucchini before. I know a recipe that, you know, is in Yumi's book mm. that, 
will take me five minutes, but I'm going to chop a zucchini in half and I'm going to put it on a griller. Mm-hmm. And look, it looks exactly the same as it does in the photograph. <laughs> Fuck, I'm awesome. Here, family, have this thing that I've made. You know what? Tomorrow, I'm going to try the one that takes two ingredients. And I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited what's going to come next. Ah. <laughs> you uh, want to tell me something? No. You want to tell me about pitch meetings and you want to tell me about... <laughs> yeah, there's a lot ahead. I'm, I'm, um, I'm in my halcyon days. Yeah. Yeah. So excited. So, so excited for you. I'm so happy that we could do this, Yumi. I'm going to put this out. Like, I'm going to put this out on Monday. I'm going to get it out there. Great. When does the book out? 1st of March. 1st of March. Where do you get it? Uh, every Just about every bookstore. You can pre-order it from Booktopia, but I'll be doing a little launch party at um, Kinokuniya in Sydney. One in Melbourne. I don't know where yet. I, I love Kinokuniya because you get to go to the Japanese Ikea downstairs. How good is it? Uh, really... What's it called, Muji? Or... Uh, Mu- Muji, yeah. It's Muji. Like... It's the greatest store ever. <laughs> Do you reckon? Yeah. I love it. I always think if I was going to start a cult and we're all going to drink Kool-Aid and die, we'd all be wearing head-to-toe Muji. It's all so soft and like... I, I love the notebooks. Mm. They make exceptional notebooks. The grade of paper is something it, to it's behold. It's fancy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so the cookbook's called Zero Fucks Cookbook, Best Food, Least Effort. It's fucking, you know, it's fucking great. Has anyone rattled at the title yet? <laughs> Um, my radio station's a bit like we can talk about, you can talk about it in Sydney and Melbourne, but you're going to have to find something creative to say about it in, to name it in Adelaide and Brisbane, which is a bit of a shame. So if you've got any suggestions what to call it, Yumi's cookbook. ZFC. ZFC. The ZFC. The ZFC. That kind of works. Yeah. It's an acronym (laughs) and the first word is zero and the last word is cookbook but I can't say the letter F. You can make it up, Brisbane. Nice. Yeah, ZFC. Yeah. Or ZFC because we're in Australia. Awesome source. Thanks heaps. Thanks heaps back. Love you, Yumi. You're, you're the best. You're all right. No, I'm really fucking lucky. I'm really lucky <laughs> that I know you because there's so many people in my life that because oh, I've moved around so much, there's so many people that I just, I just don't know anymore, mm. you know, but... That's actual tears. See them? See them? <laughs> Look at that. That's proper tears coming into my eyes. There's so, there's so few people in my life that have been around in my life through so many different times in my life. Mm. And you've been there. There was, you know, 26 of them that happened before I met you, but you've been there for every other one. And I'm so fucking lucky that this is the case, Yumi. And I'm, so happy that I'm still able to be able to come to your home. And Anytime. sit with you. It's the best. <laughs> Should we have some of that cake now? I was just sitting there. Holy shit. Oh, is it a fasting day today? Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that was Yumi Steins. You can find her on Twitter at Yumi Child, Y-U-M-I-C-H-I-L-D. After we finished chatting, we ate the chocolate cake that she pulled out of the oven at the start of our conversation. It was incredible. Food is love, my friends. Food is love. I hope you make some food that shows love for yourself this week or even better for someone else that you can share together. Wouldn't that be nice? 
God knows, when Audrey cooked me her magical Fijian love curry for the first time, it, uh, that was it. I was done. It's all over. Yumi's book is out on the 1st of March. Buy it. Just buy it. Buy it for someone in your life. Buy it for yourself. Buy it where books are bought. It'll be great. Um, a lot of people helped me make this show today. Audio production on the show is by Andy Marr. Show production is by the wonderful Haley Van Spania. And music, as always, by Toe Hider. Thank you so much for listening. I'll report back on day two of my freediving adventure next week. We're going out in the ocean to hold our breaths. It's going to be interesting. Until then, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.